going to jump into our lesson this morning. Going to keep keep rolling on this series that we're doing. This is part three. If you are uh, just joining us for this part, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to part one and two. And uh, I think I think we're on. We're on point for this to be like, a, like an eight or nine week series. Hi, Addy. Hey, guys, if you haven't gone, uh, no one's gone to see uh, Simon and Alex's new house yet, but you should. They just moved yesterday. We helped them move in. That place looks great, guys. I was like, man, this is a nice house. <laughs> bring a dish. to give a, Bring them a housewarming present. All right, we're going we're gonna to jump in here. The title of the series is called Mystery. And if you remember from last week, the main thrust of that is that it was very common through, in the ancient world to have these mystery, mystery religions where people were not content to worship the, the normal, regular way in, in that society. They wanted... Something more special, something more secret, something we can attain more if we do more in secret rituals. And what's awesome about the book of Ephesians and a lot of Paul's letters is that he constantly shoots that idea down. He says, no, there was a mystery, but it was revealed through Christ. And what's awesome about us today is that we get the Bible. We get the, the word of God, the scriptures, help us to, con, to reveal those mysteries to us today. So it is possible for someone who knows nothing about Jesus, to whom Jesus is still a complete mystery, and through the scriptures you could show them this mystery was revealed and you can, you can be an heir to this promise. It's awesome. And in no other letter does Paul use the word mystery more than in Ephesians. So that's why we're looking at that. We're going to finish chapter 1. So, oh, it's not part 2. This is actually part 3, but it's part 2 of chapter (laughs) 1. Supremacy of Christ is our title. I would say this second half of chapter 1 is like the Cliff's Notes. They don't use Cliff's Notes. Now it's like Spark Notes. Or something else. I don't even know what they call them today. But it's like, in a, it's like a, a small snapshot of Colossians chapter 1. So the second half of Ephesians 1 is kind of like the same template as the entire chapter of Colossians 1. So the stuff we look at today, if you want a deep dive, read Colossians chapter 1. But we're going to jump right into this. My first point is prayer list. And you might think, I love a good sermon point about prayer. Prayer is awesome. It is. It is about prayer. It's also about something else. I'm going to do a little switcheroo here on you. Let's read it. This is what Paul writes, starting in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray 
that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Gosh, that's awesome. I wish we talked like that today. I wish we wrote letters like that today. <laughs> uh, this, is a, a, this isn't a prayer, but it's Paul describing his prayers, which is really cool. And a couple things. It's, a, it's four verses. It took up the whole screen. It might be, it might be a, a beefy chunk of, of scripture to, to cram in here. Guys, some of you loved it and ate up every word. Some of you, I'm just going to be totally honest, even in a group this small, some of you were like, for this reason, ever since blah, 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 blah. I'm a church kid. I grew up going to church, guys. I know it happens. Scripture's a little too long, and you tune it right out. You start thinking about other things, and you're like, what did he say? It happens. So, I'm going to break it all down for you. This is Paul telling the people in Ephesus, I pray for you, and this is what I pray for you. And here's a list. I give thanks for you. I remember you. I pray that God gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, which is kind of a a nudge back to the whole Mysterion thing we talked about last week. I pray that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And I pray that you may know these three things. The hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. The hope. The hope to which he has called us. The riches. Now, what riches? Material riches? Nope. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Oh, where do we find those riches? Oh, we find them in people. We find the riches of his glorious inheritance in relationships with God's people. And then, Paul prays for his uh, incomparably great power. That we may know his incomparably great power. Now, here's my, here's my question for you guys. Do I know these things? If you go back through that list, how many of those things do you feel like you are experiencing? And how many do you, are you like, I know that those are in my life and those are working? And then the follow-up question is, can I pray those things for other people? I give thanks for you. I want you to think about the prayers that you've prayed for other people. Now, sometimes we'll pray for so-and-so's body part. We do that a lot. Sometimes we'll pray for, God, help that person with like a job or their financial distress. And those are fine. That's good. Don't stop doing that. Sometimes we pray, God, could you change that person? (laughs) Could you help that person to stop doing that thing that bugs me? But I'm going to read this list again, and I want you to think about when was the last time you prayed these things for other people? I give thanks for you. 
expressing gratitude to God for people in your life. I remember you. I pray that God gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why don't you try praying that instead of praying that they stop doing the thing that bugs you? God, God, could you give this person the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they can know you better? Pray that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened. Pray that they might know the hope to which they have called them, which God has called them. Pray that they might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And pray that they might know his incomparably great power for us. When I'm being totally honest, I'm going to be gut level honest, as I was preparing this, I was like, man, I better pray this so I don't stand up there like a fool. And, but the reality is, I don't, it has not been my practice to pray these things for people. And it's a beautiful template. It's not from Jesus. It's just Paul saying, this is what I pray for. I prayed for you guys for this stuff. And it's so encouraging. Now, as long as we're talking about praying for other people, that brings up another question. And this is where the switcheroo is. This isn't really about your prayer life. This is about the people that you have in your life. So my question would be, who am I praying for? And who do I even know well enough to pray for? I love that Paul was like, I think about you all the time, I remember you. But who do you have in your life that, you, that you're on that level with? It's about relationships. And we just had a sad event in our, in our, uh, in our family, our life. A, f- a friend of ours just recently died. And I'm not sad for her because, man, at her memorial, everyone was like, if there is one person getting to heaven, it is this woman. Her name was Cheryl, and she's a friend. I I wish I could say that she was, like, really, really close. She wasn't really, really close, but she was the wife of, like, our really, really close friend. Back in the day, when we were young and stupid and, you know, just trying to figure out how do we do this, this life of Christianity. We had a lot of people in our lives that now I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade those relationships for the world. We, I was in a band. And it was hilariously cringy and goofy. But we had a drummer named Nate. And uh, yeah, the band, we, we had a lot of fun together and we, we would play shows. We had a manager. We would like go around and, and he would set up shows for us. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then our drummer gets married to a woman that doesn't like our music. <laughs> and she was like, can you not play this weekend? And so he would call us and be like, sorry guys, I can't play. And so the manager would call me and he'd be like, hey, I got a show for you on Friday. And I'd call everybody. And I'd call Nate last because I was afraid he was going to say no. Sure enough, he says no. So then I got to call my manager and be like, sorry, we can't play. The band didn't last long after that. Uh, you know, that was the best, de- marrying her was the best decision he could have made in his entire life. And, um, and those guys, we, Jen and I were just talking recently about the, the people that we grew up with in the faith. 
We all got married around the same time. We all had kids around the same time. And, and our relationship now is 20 plus years of like solid spiritual relationships. And I was talking to Steve, and Steve was like, man, I'm actually kind of, I don't have that. Because he moved around more, and we kind of stayed in one place. And now, like, in a couple weeks, we're going to go, because they're going to have a memorial in in Detroit. And we'll be there, and we'll get to see Nate and and show him our, our love. But I think about these men and women that I love so deeply that we experienced life together with. And it wasn't because we were in a huge church with like these large ministries. We were in Ann Arbor with like barely more people than we have here. But we, we saw people in our lives. We trusted that God put them there. And then we just invested We just invested in them and let them invest in us. And what did investment look like? Sometimes it looked like, you're being stupid right now. Quit it. And sometimes it looked like them telling me I was being stupid. Quit it. But you know what? I wouldn't wouldn't trade that for a million dollars. I think for you guys, it would be very easy to see that opportunity and let it go right by you. See the people that God has put in your life and just be like, hmm, they're okay, they're cool. Yeah, I like spending time with them, they're fine. And miss that deep, emotional, spiritual investment. And so I would just say, I want you to pray for people. I want you to have an awesome prayer life. But I want you, when, when you pray for people, I want there to be something there. I want your prayers to be like packed with history and investment in their life. Amen? Amen. Point number two. He then moves on to talk about this idea of the supremacy of Christ. And this is where, if you go to Colossians If you go to Colossians 1, this is like deep in in there. He touches on it here, but Colossians 1 is where it's super deep. This is what he says. Because he just finished praying, I pray that you would know the incomparable power. Or the incomparable riches, but the power. And he says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And I'm just going to say this again. Some of you might be like, that's awesome. Some of you might be like, you lost me after like the fourth or fifth word. I want you to go back and read this and really like meditate on this. He's talking about how God 
raised Jesus from his humble position of nothingness, even less than nothingness on the cross, and was able to seat him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And he says every name, he's higher than every name that is invoked. And then he placed all things under his feet. That sounds awesome. I'm going I'm to give you a little warning right now. It's very easy to read stuff like this and think, yeah, Jesus is awesome. Jesus is mighty and powerful and glorified and high and mighty and, you know, seated at the right hand. Like, Jesus is all of that, and yet, I refuse to make him mighty in my life. It's easy to worship a Jesus that is above everything except you. And we read this and we can be like, we can be like, yeah, Jesus is seated at the right hand. All power, authority, all he, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. But not, not my knee and not my tongue. And we talked about, we did a, a, a series on kingdom. You remember this? We did a series on kingdom. We talked about kingdom as the reign and authority of a king. And we are in the kingdom when we are under that authority. And yet God gives us every opportunity to say, well, yeah, you, you're awesome and powerful, but I don't want to be under your authority. And so my, my question for us this morning is just this. Do I exalt Jesus as supreme Lord over every part of my life? This is, this is lordship, which I talk about all the time. It's like my, my thing. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. But what in my life am I, do I have a little asterisk, asterisk by? All things. He's head over everything. Except this. And if you come for this, I'm fighting you. For some of us, it might be our finances. And that's why I loved what Jen was saying. Like, Jesus is Lord of the entire universe and reigns over everything except my money. That no one touches. Or maybe Jesus is Lord over everything except my sexual purity. Or Jesus is Lord over everything except this relationship that, that I need. And if I don't have this person, I'm not complete. Do I exalt Jesus as supreme Lord over every part of my life? So I'm just, I would just ask you, Think about that pavilion. Remember when we were at the park? Think about that pavilion that represented the authority of God. And, it, and you're allowed. God gives you the choice and the power to, to put anything under the pavilion and anything outside of the pavilion. 
And you can just walk. You can just leave. Be like, I don't want authority. You can just go. But, but what happens far too often is that we stand on the edge of his authority and we're like, I am in it, but I've got like my, my hand reaching back. I'm like, I keep some stuff. That's not God's, that's mine. So I just want us to, to really search our heart. What part of my life do I refuse to submit to the lordship of Jesus? And then point three. We're going to wrap this up. This is the church. We read it before, but we're going to read it again. This is the way Paul ends chapter 1. He says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, what I'm about to say is not new to any of you, but it's really important to remind ourselves. Here's some verses where Paul, specifically, talks about Jesus being the head of the body, the body being the church. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we're going to read this in a few weeks, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. The church is the body, Jesus is the head. In Ephesians 5, Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And if you think it couldn't get any plainer than that, Colossians 1. And he is the head of the body, the church. Hallelujah. Now, am I talking about this congregation? No talking about something way bigger than we could ever like figure out just us talking about the body of christ the body of christ which is the church paul in in his letter to the corinthians goes on to say this and i'm not going to read all of this but i encourage you first corinthians 12 12 Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Big point in 1 Corinthians 12 is unity. Like, hey, you're all different. And God is totally fine with that. He made it that way. And just because the parts are different doesn't mean that they're not part of the body. But I think about the body parts. Two things that I think a body part uh, helps if they understand... <laughs> is their purpose and their interconnectedness. I was telling Jen on the way over, I was like, man, interconnectedness is a really weird long word. It's very hard. Every body part has a purpose. Every body part is connected to another body part. 
You can talk to Jen, who's an x-ray tech, or talk to Gates, who is a chiropractor. If you're, if you're interested, how do, the, how do the body parts fit together? They will definitely tell you. And I talked to Gates, we had lunch the other day, and I was like, man, my foot and my ankle are all, there's a problem. He's like, come see me. There's some problems with your interconnectedness, and it's not helping you achieve your purpose. My purpose is, I would like to run on the treadmill. I cannot. I get on the treadmill, I'm like, oh, it hurts. I'm like barely trying to do a, a steady pace walking. But everybody part, everybody part has a purpose and an interconnectedness. I think about, I think about my wrist. I'm just going to talk about my wrist for a second. Does it, have a, does it have a purpose? You might think, no one really thinks about the wrist. <laughs> until, until it's messed up. If you have carpal tunnel, or if you break it, or if it's immobile, if you ever had to put a cast. Freddie broke his finger, and he needed a cast all the way up to his elbow. And he couldn't use his wrist. And so, yeah, your wrist has, has an awesome purpose. But I think about, when we think about the wrist, we think about the, the bones, we think about the, the tendons and ligaments, and that's all good. But if I were to take this part away, there's life-giving blood supply that's coming through my wrist to my hand. And it's, it's not just the interconnectedness of the bones, but it's like these things die if this goes missing. The purpose and the interconnectedness of the body parts And it's beautiful, and it's a beautiful analogy of you and your relationships with one another. And so what is, I need to always ask myself, what is my purpose? What am I doing? What does God want me to do? And then how how am I supporting other people? How am I allowing them to support me? What is our interconnectedness? And so here's my, here's my question. Am I an active part of the body of Christ? Do I know my purpose? Am I fulfilling my interconnectedness with one another? Do I love it when I feel I'm, I'm getting that life-giving spirit from other people. Or have I maybe separated myself from them? And am I delivering that to people? Am I giving them what they need? There are parts of the body that we take for granted until it's injured. And it affects all the parts that are connected. Please see Gates <laughs> if you want some more information about that. But, but God has put these parts together for their benefit. I'm not talking about your body parts. I'm talking about you in the body of Christ. And I think if we can understand how they work and and start to love the church, love the, the spiritual men and women that God has put in your life, 
and realize I need them, I need them for survival. And understand that that is how God has determined that I am going to know about his incomparable riches. It's not just through diligent study of the scriptures. It's going to be through the people. What we're studying on Wednesday, I, we, we've, we've said it's politics. It's basically unity. We're talking about unity and how to be unified. So I would encourage everyone to come on Wednesdays or, or join on Zoom. I love these few verses, the last half of chapter 1. They do a couple things. They help me see Paul's love for people. They help me see Paul's love for people and they call me higher, both in my relationships and in my prayers. They paint a beautiful picture of a glorified Jesus. And then it asks me, am I under his supremacy? Is that Jesus, Lord of my life? And then three, they remind me that I'm part of the body of Christ with a job to do and an interconnectedness that I need to maintain. And then lastly, when I think about those things, even the, just the three things we talked about today and this last half of this one chapter in the Bible, I'm like, man, that, with no help, would be an unfathomable mystery to try to figure out. And yet I can be so excited that we have the scriptures to reveal those things to us, to make known those mysteries to us, so that we can go forward and like live in that, not shrouded in mystery anymore. But we have to do the work of like going after that stuff. Amen? Amen. Guys, with that, uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to take communion. Amen. God, thank you so much for your son. Thank you that he is supreme over everything. There is no power, authority, or dominion that is, that is higher than him. He is seated at your right hand. And God, thank you that in your infinite wisdom, you have given us each other, a bunch of very flawed human beings.